Hello and welcome to Drop and Get the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Avengers Endgame. Finally, it We've has arrived. It. <laughs> Ten years after uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe began. Yes. Suspectingly, with Iron Man. When no one knew what would result. We've got to this behemoth of a movie. Three hours long. Before you start, can I say how thrilling it was to be at the cinema and to have those enormous cues and... Uh, you know, there was like a palpable excitement and mm. actually it was a real experience to see it with an audience. I was very excited as well. Oh, well, you couldn't, um, you couldn't hardly contain yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking uh, about why on the way to the cinema, because um, it's only in the last few days that I've really become excited, once we booked the tickets really. I mean, we had to book tickets because it's packed out. Yes. Um, so I booked the tickets and then, and then I thought, oh, we're, we're going to go see it, we're going to go see it and I started to get more excited and... Uh, I kind of realised that the reason I was getting excited was because of the game of... They've written themselves into this corner, theoretically, with Infinity War. Spoilers, I suppose, at the end of Infinity War, Thanos, the villain, manages to kill half of all life in the universe by snapping his fingers. That was the what they were trying to avoid. And so you're going with Endgame, how... Well, I listened back to that first podcast that we did on it. Oh, on did you? Infinity I did, yes. And God, it was hard to listen to. Was it? For me. (laughs) And I advise everyone not to listen to it because I was was so taken in by that ending that I just believed every second of it. And, uh-huh. and you, and you hit, I mean, the rest of the. Oh, I remember we had an argument about that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an argument; it was a discussion. But you were, but I was. It wasn't. It wasn't an argument at all. But I, what I have since come to realise is that because I'm not a comic book guy, right? And not being inured enough to the to, to what it does, I I didn't really realise at the time that this. I, I'm used to I'm used to soap operas. I'm used to wrestling, although I don't really watch wrestling. But I'm used to the fact that in those. Nothing really counts ever. People, you know, everything is changeable. People come back to life. You can do what you want. I'm very used to that in soap opera, certainly. I mean, people are always coming back in EastEnders and things. Um, and although you know that is clearly something that comic books do, I just hadn't really. I did not. Wasn't in that frame of mind. Mm. So I totally believed the ending of that film, and I was like, mm. "God, something might happen." And and it's really fucking hard for me to listen back to that. So and go, I think I'm every, so stupid. Everyone should listen to it. This, this it's <laughs> horrible. It's about five ten minutes at the start of that podcast where it's absolutely horrible for me to listen to. Ah, but is but, it horrible to listen to me? No, you're fine. Okay, yeah, because you listen, you're, everybody. Because you're back on. Because you, you, you're just sitting there going, "I can guarantee that everyone's going to come back," and, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't know." <laughs> So, and I really wished I lacked the moral integrity that, that says I have to keep this up to stand for all time. I wish I could just go delete it and pretend it never happened. No, it's but good, I won't. It's good. That led me to going. Why am I so excited about this though? And yes. so part of it is 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 um, that I had got used to the idea that obviously these characters are going to come back. But the question is then how, right? Mm. And you know, I sent you a little clip of something that I noticed in Ant Man Two, where in the post credit scene where they. Uh, Ant-Man gets stuck in quantum time um, or quantum space there's this thing about don't get stuck in a time vortex and I was like ooh time vortex that's going to come back uh-huh. and actually it fucking didn't <laughs> waste of time <laughs> um, but, I, but that was that was one I was getting excited about right I didn't really care about what would happen about the the characters I wanted to play the game of the film. It was a little bit like Inception I think yeah. you know that, that first half of this film is is going 
how is the story going to progress logically and how are they going to do this, that and the other? Yes. And there's a kind of game that you play as an audience member along with that? Yes. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. Actually, I really... Um, you know, so so we've been seeing quite a lot of films this week, I guess. Uh, and there are some that I've really loved. Um, but, you know, even even when I've loved them, there's always this moment where you look at your watch... And actually, this is three min- three hours and 20 minutes long? No, just three hours. Three hours. I didn't look at my watch once. No, I agree. You know, so it's kind of, it really... It's amazing uh, how well it makes use of its time, in a way. Yeah, it's fantastic, actually. You're riveted throughout. You know, there were these, these well, I'm going to say kids, except they were all kind of, you know, I'm sure in their mid-20s or probably 30s and, you know, gigantic, really. And uh, well, Compared to you. Well, compared to me, yes. Um... <laughs> And they were, like, completely glued to the screen. I mean, you know, they would, like, their heads would move forward, right? Kind of, that's... Yeah, the two lads sitting next to you, I noticed. Yeah, well. how rapt and attentive he was, really. And then, of course, at one point, they all started crying as well. Mm. So, you know, a film that can grab your attention like that and be exciting and, you know, and be so visually interesting and then kind of... And, and make people laugh and cry. It yeah. got very good reactions from the audience. There were these moments where... This is going to be full of spoilers, obviously. So, you know, you need to have seen Endgame to listen to this. Um, Moments like when Captain America earns Mjolnir, the Thor's hammer. Mm. Um, There was this... Because it it was a fantastic moment. You know, the whole thing was that he is worthy to wield it. Yes. And Thor realises... And it's it's not Thor who chooses, it's the hammer that chooses, you know. Because there was this thing in in the second Avengers movie, the Age of Ultron, where they're all drinking and they all go, let's try and pick up Thor's hammer. And none of them can. But there's this moment in it, this little joke is all it was at the time, mm. where as Captain America tries to pick it up, it moves just a tiny bit. Yeah. And Thor looks really worried. Mm. You know, you never thought, well, I never thought that that would come come back and pay off. Yes. And it becomes his weapon in this. Yes. It's kind of amazing. Yes. And, this, and, and it's because of the significance of what it means for the character and that he's earned it and that he's so morally good that he can will this thing. And the audience went crazy for that. Mm. You know, like the gasps... And kind of ahs and oohs around the audience. Yes. When when, um, when Spider Man uh, is returned um, towards the end of the film, they finally bring back all the characters that they have been resurrected early in the film, but they only show up at the end. Yes. Um, and he's just his normal self, and he's yakking away, and Iron Man just hugs him. Yes. You know, you hear people in the audience going, "Oh, oh I know." It was there lovely. were so many moments like that. Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, there's a fantastic acting moment actually. Which is where um, Scarlett Johansson goes to find Jeremy Renner, who's kind of he's bit, chopping people up in he's China, chopping people up in or Japan. Yeah, sorry, yeah, probably Japan. Yeah. Um, so, um, and he turns around to look at her, and he does this thing by tilting his face, almost kind of ashamed for her to have caught him. You know, yeah, he's behaving. See what he's been reducing. He's been wreaking vengeance on the world basically because he's lost his family and he's just full of anger. He's taking it out on everyone and killing huge amounts of people. Yeah, but he gives her this amazing look, which is one that's full of like kind of love for her, but also regret and a bit of shame at what he's become. Mm. And I just thought, you know, Jeremy Renner was so great. I mean, that was to me that was almost like the acting moment in the film, actually. You know, mm. it was just like a tilt of the head and, and a glance. It was very moving. There are some really... Good, it's obviously a fantastic cast and everybody's in it. And 
they get some very good performances out of their actors. Um, I think uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is great throughout, and particularly at the start when the film opens on the same kind of very solemn, um, morose tone that the previous film ended on. Mm. Um, you, you start off 23 days or so after mm. Thanos has done the snap, and Tony Stark is about to die, and he's returned to Earth by Captain America. Oh, Captain America, Captain Marvel. Yes. And he's thin. I mean, he's basically been starving on this ship. I mean, he looks, yes. he looks visually something to look at. Yeah. And he doesn't want any part of this like new plan to try and to try and go and get Thanos and reverse the blah blah blah. Um, and he is, he's 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 shaking and like he doesn't really have full control of his muscles. You know, like yeah. he can't keep his head straight and that sort of thing. That moment and is it's great. A wonderful physical performance in that scene. Yes. and and you just feel you feel the kind of breakup and the failure. Mm. His sense of failure. Yes, um, I don't share your enthusiasm uh, for him in the rest of the scenes. I mean, but you know that's now just part of the way. I used to love him, but at a certain point, I just thought he got too facile and rather smug, and you know. And I suppose maybe that's the character he's also playing. The moment you're describing is genuinely moving, you know. So, uh, do you think there's an element of that that this film is? Redressing though, I mean that morose tone. Although that is where it is as its strongest at the start, it kind of continues throughout the film. It has this elegiac tone to it. Yes, and he, as someone who is kind of regretful, but he has this interesting thing about his character where he has been able to keep a family because he didn't die and Pepper Potts didn't die and they have a daughter together who didn't die, and and when they come to him for help five years on, saying we reckon that we can do this time travel. And, and fix it, he turns them down because he's like, I can't lose anything else. He's not acting cocky at this point at all, kind of smug no. or arrogant. He's really vulnerable. Yes. Um, yeah, like I said, it might be a personal thing, but I just, you know, I've mm. ended up not liking him. Um, so, but those, you know, the, particularly the first moment where he's very thin and so on, he's very, very good. Um, I also I hate the sight of Gwyneth Paltrow and actually I, I don't think she's good in anything really um, <laughs> but you know every time she appeared in this film it kind of it jarred me a little bit out of it actually you know I, I just think well I just think she's not very good really. she got laughs in this when she's dressed up in a suit at the end with everybody else taking part in the fight yes and and I didn't laugh, but I agreed with everyone who laughed. Yes. <laughs> so, but those are minor points, you know, in uh, a film that I think, you know, it was. I just loved kind of seeing it with this audience. And actually, there was also something about we saw it in IMAX and 3D, and there were a couple of moments where people were were just um, going to the toilet. I imagine, and you know, they were like so tiny in comparison to the screen. Mm. So you were seeing them through your 3D glasses as kind of like a little dot on the corner of the screen. And actually that was also thrilling. You know? Well, I think that kind of points to actually what the film visually is best at because I, I'm i interested when you said right at the start that this was visually interesting. Yes. Because I don't agree. Ah. But I think what it is visually best at is scale. I actually rather like the previous movie. And they're, they're both directed by the Russo brothers who've directed a few of the other Marvel films. Because what this film does is, is scale. It makes things big. 
and imposing, and it gives you a, a sense of the of the, the the task at hand, if you like, you know, kind of the odds being stacked against these characters, and it does so visually as well as as through the storytelling, through, through the plot and the writing. And I think that kind of that that what you're talking about about the screen being so huge and these people being so tiny is it in addition to that. I felt the same way when I saw those people leaving yes. and coming back. I suppose what I mean specifically about it being uh, visually um, interesting is that it does feel like a comic book come alive with all of the panels and all that sensitivity to paneling and scale in the paneling and movement. Um, you know, I remember the scene where they're, you know, they're, they're gearing up to the final battle with Thanos and Ant-Man appears, you know, and he's now huge, mm. right? And he's occupying one side of the screen and then the camera kind of allows you to see it just like a comic book panel. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is so great. You know, so kind of that's what I mean. Yeah, well, I think that kind of talks to what I am suggesting is is the film's visual uh, uh, sort of core is that it's about scale. Mm. You know, that is something that is about scale and about how imposing he is. So it's so huge. It kind of it's in slow motion. Well, when he breaks out of being underground and he's giant, and it, the slow motion sells it. Yes, well. but I think there's also something about the composition because you yeah. are you are framing all of these people. Yeah, like you know this huge array of superheroes. Yeah. You know, within kind of a frame, so you know, I kind of. I, I don't think, disagree with you. Yeah, on, on I that. think my hat to, off to that. Actually, I thought that was very good. But I think that they, that the Russos, and this is again something that is, I see in the previous Marvel work is, it's mechanical kind of. So one thing that I think was really great about the last film, and I would say about this, is that there's not an ounce of fat on it. Mm. You know, like uh, we both watched Infinity War uh, recently as well yes. in the preparation of this independently, and that's two and a half hours long itself. Yes, and and w- with the exception for me of of the scene early on in like Glasgow or Edinburgh yes. in Infinity War, which I think you could lose or cut down. There's not really an ounce of fat. Like everything moves and everything everything kind of feels uh, as you say. You don't check your watch or anything like that. But there is also something that is just mechanical it's about getting the plot out and I, th- I think as visual storytelling goes I don't think there's anything that strong or beautiful imagery is there anything beautiful in these? Uh, well um, uh, um, Chris Evans eyelashes <laughs> I mean my god they were so beautiful and so long kind of they were longer than, than Scarlett Johansson's um, so, um, I mean, no, but I do think, you know, that the film has a theme that is really well worked out and that is very consistent throughout, um, you know, it's a theme about second chances. The whole film is about second chances, mm. right? And kind of, you know, so all of the heroes getting a second chance to save the world, right? But also Thor, you know, getting a second chance to turn his life around and, Ant-Man the same and, uh, you know, uh, Captain America, you know, to be reunited with his love. Like, the, you know, there's this whole thing about... This whole section as well about people visiting their past. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and I think it's kind of, it's quite consistent. Uh, and it builds incredibly well on all of the other um, Marvel films that you've seen. Yeah, so if you're talking also about kind of, you know, things that are used kind of symbolically, well, there's a whole bunch of them, really. I mean, you know, the shield, right? Um, and, you know, kind of, to me, these are not necessarily the best aspects of the film, right? But, you know, kind of, 
the shield that gets brought up by Iron Man, handed over to Captain America, and at the end it gets kind of handed over once again. So hopefully we're going to have a black kind of Captain America, right? But those things are kind of consistently used throughout, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they develop. I mean, also the thing about the hammer that you mentioned, mm. you know, um, the stuff about uh, um, uh, the time machine, yeah? Um, I kind of, I thought all of that was uh, was kind of interesting and consistent. But really, for me, the, the, the most important thing was that um, the film creates people, right? And kind of, you know, people with unresolved issues and kind of and yearnings, really. And it does so, it's a multiple task. So it's kind of quite a lot of things to kind of juggle in the air at the same time and to kind of give them you know, a rationale and a context and purpose and meaning. So I think the film is amazing at doing that. It's very difficult to do. Yeah, and I think I think it's more successful, or not more successful, but it is, it's um, better in that sense than the previous film because the story is more complex. And actually, you watch this one and you go, it, it, you, I think it kind of uh, reveals, in a way, how simple Infinity War was. Which is not to say that that's a bad thing on the part of Infinity War, but that was a very simple story. Although it split off into a number of strands, mm. it was just all about Thanos is coming. Yes. It's like Thanos is coming in whatever way we have to try and stop him. And it's, it's just this two and a half hour thing of trying to stop him. And this film um, splits into different strands in a way. So it starts off with a very, very long opening movement of this kind of coping with what the world has become. And the various and that the, they're keeping a kind of skeleton Avengers alive with the people they have left that Scarlett Johansson's now in charge of, um, and it's it's when it's when Ant Man comes back by chance mm. um, that uh, that this this you know, this new plan kind of emerges. You feel like up till then they're just going to have to live with this, you know. Yeah. And then the film turns into the, the the quite good fun kind of romping through time to get the stones back, and then once they got the stones back, a whole other thing starts because Thanos has now found out blah blah blah. And so it's a number of films in one, in a way. It's yes. like one after the other. Actually, just to keep on that idea, one of the things that I thought was so amazing about the film was how it managed and orchestrated and, and narrativized the various tonalities. You know, so mm-hmm. kind of... So you mentioned, for example, you know, the elegiac kind of element at the beginning... You know, but then as soon as the gang from the galaxy, what's Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy? Yeah, Chris Pine, uh, Chris, um, Chris Pratt hardly shows Pratt. up. But. Yeah, but you know, when those people come up, the film has a completely different tone. For sure, yeah. You know, when uh, Thor comes up, the film turns into like a, a comedy, right? You know, so and then when the people are placed together, the tones are managed so it doesn't feel like any one element is out of place. Mm. Yeah, so yes. I thought that that's kind it's of amazing. It's incredibly coherent yeah. in that sense. So, yes. so, so each of those things has a different tone, um, but they're kind of orchestrated together incredibly well. For me, one of the strongest things about the film was... It's, it's interesting that... The, as we've mentioned this elegiac tone, and I think it's the right word to use, and I think it's a film that is... It's about... At the start, it's about mourning, but it's kind of throughout sort of about mourning itself as yes. much as it is about mourning oh, completely. death. Like it's going, oh, it's the end of our story. It's the end of you know? Chris Evans as Captain America and Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Exactly. Uh-huh. It's not the end of the story, but it is yeah. the end and of this. bye-bye, Gwyneth. It's the end of this movement of <laughs> movies for 10 years. Uh-huh. And um, it's a really good thing that you didn't stay for the credits because mm. 
I stuck out that just you know they have that animated part of the credits before they go into just the list, and in the animated part of the credits, I mean when they show up on YouTube, whatever you've got to have a look because God Almighty, it's um, everyone gets like a bit of a moment, but it, they do every fucking character, like all the minor characters that you don't care about, they all get their name and they get a bit of and it's romantic music. Oh, these people, oh, we miss you, like <laughs> like, <laughs> like like the in memoriam segment from the Oscars, yeah, yeah. it's like, and then when the principal characters come up, you know, the, the main Avengers. Not only do they each get their own several seconds of here's your name, but they trace out the actor's autograph on screen before the the printed name comes up. Like, like they're signing their characters. Yeah. Oh, oh, I miss you. Oh, well, to be honest, horrible. I, I you hope, would have hated that. Yes, I would. And I hope they retire uh, Iron Man for a bit, actually. Um, you know, I, I hope they're wise about it and kind of don't bring him back immediately. Um, and the same, well, Captain America, you already know he's got a successor, you know, but hopefully, you know, because of who has been chosen to succeed, it'll be like a different kind of film, hopefully. Mm. Um, so, so I, you know, the Chris Evans, Captain Americans, hopefully will be one thing and the people who like them can continue to cherish them. But, you know, it's not as if somebody's taking over the same character. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so I think, I think all of that is very wise. It's um, like kind of. It, 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 you remember what they did with Star Trek when they brought back Star Trek for these new movies, and yeah. and in that first, which I think was a really clever way they did it in that first film where they split into this different timeline, and the way they really established it was they had two versions of Spock. Yeah. They had Leonard Nimoy, and then they had uh, Zachary Quinto, and they interact in one scene at the end, and and that whole film is going, you know, we're not ruining Star Trek for you. The Star Trek that you know and love exists and it's there and it's there forever. We're just in- inviting you to a new universe. Mm. And this, and so this isn't doing that. This is continuing the same timeline. But that way, you know, the way in which it is literally uh, uh, Captain America, Chris Evans, passing his shield to Anthony Mackie, mm. you know, is achieving, I think, the same sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, not to shit on the film, you know, but one of the things that, you know, the kids next to me were saying, you know, do you reckon that this is really the best film of all time? We're going to ask, because obviously they've, you know, that's been bandied around about this film. And to be honest, I don't, not only do I not think it's not the best film of all time, I don't even think it's a great film. No, and it's not the best Marvel film either. Ah, who would, who would you Well, choose? Black Panther's superior, For sure, really. yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, amongst others, but, yes. like, this is, it's, this is, a, I can't remember what, um, I think Mark Kermode, when he talks about Avatar, Mm. said it's like watching an oil tanker turn around. Mm. You know, like it's incredibly impressive to look at and you have this enormous sense of, of the weight of, of what's going on and the danger if it goes wrong. But it's not art. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That would be my thing. I mean, you know, if if kind of you think, well, it's about second chances. Yeah, but what it has to say about them is not very interesting. It's all like, you know, kind of, they've all read the same self-help book So, you know, it's no Ozu, which is kind of my benchmark. Have people really been saying, is this the best film of all time, or is it just them? It could just be them. I mean, I haven't haven't read any of the reviews, so I don't know. Um, I mean, we did read the New Yorker piece on, you know, the Marvel Universe, just because I thought, you know, we ought to before we do our podcast. And I thought actually that was very, very good. Um, you know, and very interesting making distinctions between 
kind of you know recurrence and soap operas and mm -hmm. you know things like the simpsons and why this is different yeah yeah um so i found that very interesting but just because it does it well uh and you know i don't want to sneer because to make people laugh and to make people cry and to keep people excited uh for three hours is quite an amazing achievement uh, but I would agree with you that it's not art. It's kind of, you know, it reminds me of like one of those 1930s films that were like very spectacular, like San Francisco, where there was an earthquake in the middle of it and so mm. on. Or um, even something like Gone with the Wind, really, you know, that is in its own way. Well, I mean, now it's difficult to watch because of, you know, the racial stereotypes and so on. Um, but, you know, kind of narratively, it kind of... Uh, it really engrossed several generations anyway, you know, but it's the same thing, right? It's kind of, you know, it's engrossing. It's got great performances. It's very spectacular, mm. you know, but it's not art. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you should mention Gone with the Wind and, and racial stereotypes in particular, uh, because that's, it's something that was on my mind slightly in this is um, how uh, kind of white this film is in a way and and I don't mean that I don't mean that to say I'm just identifying that it's kind of, what I mean is that um, Marvel has developed in the last few years it's fine it, people have pointed out that it's finally been expanding into we finally made a film with black people yeah. we finally made a film with a woman as a hero yeah. which I've done with Black Panther and Captain Marvel recently and every film up until now up until then has been a, a white guy yes in, in the hero role basically and not to piss them off but old white guys are that well, they are now, certainly. Yes. Um, and, you know, they didn't start off young. I mean, Robert Downey Jr., you know, must yeah. have been in his late 30s by the time he got that role. So, um, they're no spring chickens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if there is a sense in which... Like, you, you, can't, you can't change the past, you know, as much as, as, much as the, this film sort of talks about going back to the past. You can't change what happened uh, and, and what the film's kind of used to be like. But if there is a sense in which... Um, this film puts an end to a certain cycle yes. of Marvel films, although they will continue. It would be nice to think that that cycle of them all being so homogenous... So white, so Aryan in many ways. Exactly, actually. yeah. Well, you, I, you po I think you possibly overuse the word Aryan sometimes. But well, they, but I, I don't think so. I mean, look at, you look at Chris Evans as, like, blue-eyed, you know, tall. Look at, you know, I mean, Chris Hemsworth, like, my God, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, um, what's the guy who plays Ant-Man? You know, oh, uh, uh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, the same. Well, you know, well, the same. Yeah, he's an English. He's he's English originally. Paul Rudd, he, he's American. He was born in England. His family emigrated to the U.S. Is that true? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, and he's got that same kind of you know fair, light-eyed thing. Um, so, um, you know, it's kind of it's a recurring mm. pattern uh, in in the films. They're all kind of. I mean, he has got dark hair. <laughs> he's, he's not. He's not well. But, Asgardian. Well, but that's you know a kind of uh, having dark hair. Well, what I mean is so the, fair. What I mean is that the word you Aryan never, says something quite specific. Well, to me, it's kind of a Northern European kind of look. You know, he was so born I don't in know New the Jersey, exact Paul definition. Huh? Paul Rudd was born in New Jersey. Well, in America. Well, his family's English, okay. um, so. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that, actually, because he's spoken about it in interviews. Yes, his parents were born in England, it says. Right. So, um, um, and he was raised here partly, so... Um, I'm, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, 
I'm going to close his Wikipedia page. Okay, fine. <laughs> but my my point stands. Brie Larson. I mean, the name alone is Swedish or something like that. You know, Swedish origin. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, like this tall, gigantic blonde. I mean, it's it's got a look, and it's a problem. You know, because you know the. I mean, the U.S. is kind of black and Hispanic, and you know, yeah. many things. So actually, to make the whole Marvel universe until 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 um, Black Panther, yeah, uh, this, I agree. And this is what I'm saying, although in a slightly less severe way. Perhaps. Well, what I'm saying is that if my point is ultimately, if we agree to differ slightly on the particular terminology, <laughs> um, okay. So Northern if, European. If what I'm saying is that uh, it, if this film represents an end to that certain cycle, then it would be nice to think that the next part of it is going to be far more diverse in terms of representations. Well, I hope so. The film is making um, gestures to it. So, you know, the passing on of the Captain American uh, shield uh, and... um, uh, um, It has that moment where all the female heroes get together together and have their moments in battle. Yeah. And of course, you know, kind of Black Panther is given, you know, quite an important role at the end as well, right? Although I did note that the army that is provided by Wakanda to fight the army of invading aliens, yes, it has this it has this tone of they're all black and just being used as as cannon fodder, sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I those those things remain, and actually, I think even the passing on of the shield of Captain America feels like overly symbolic and forced and mm. you know um so but just to keep you know scarlett johansson again it really is benedict cumberbatch like it is a very kind of you know white northern european kind of okay you know um uh, and it's a problem so i'm glad they do seem to be trying to kind of take measures to kind of um make that more inclusive. After all, if they can put a fucking tree and a raccoon in it, they can find kind of people of color, right? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. which, you know, I, I think it is kind of uh, a condemnation to that uh, they haven't kind of um, done this earlier. I mean, there was that whole question, can, can Spider-Man be black and stuff like that? I mean, ridiculous, right? Of course mm-hmm. he can. I mean... Actually, oh. when we talked about the that Spider-Man animated film, um, Into the Spider-Verse, yeah. it was something that we kind of took took for granted. Really, yes. we didn't really mention the fact that he's uh, half half African American, half Hispanic. In that yes. um, that's the, that's the, the, the Miles Morales. That's the version, yeah. and we kind of just took the took that for granted. Like, yeah, that's just what he is. In this, but like, that's kind of huge. Actually, yes. like, there is there is something yes. very meaningful about that. Yes, there is actually. Uh, that we so, didn't make enough of at the time and, no, and these um, films are important and these films constantly make one and a half to two billion dollars or more this yes. film's going to break box and they play no, worldwide no you know so I mean I think um, you yeah. know. And, not, and you're not just in the business of making money you're in the business of culture yes and you have a cultural responsibility that's basically, right if you make movies especially if you're making movies this huge yes I mean you know so there was that um, Asian woman uh, in from what is Galaxy Quest? Gal- Gal- Galaxy Quest is the film, you know the the be- the, With the antennas. Do the antennas. Galaxy Quest, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. You know, but actually, it's still significant. You know that the only Japanese or Chinese or Korean person that you see in the film are still ninjas, right? Mm. Um, there's no Hispanics at all. 
Um, you know, so, um, and you know what, like 1% of the people or 5% maybe, you know, are around Black Panther, right? Like there's not that many black characters either. So, you know, I think it is worth yeah, commenting on. I, mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. And actually one it. of those characters that was kind of controversial before was Tilda Swinton's character from Doctor Strange, who, yes. um, because that was originally an Asian character and then, and there, so there, was, there were accusations of cultural whitewashing when Tilda Swinton yes. took the role, um, which I, I didn't particularly care about. <laughs> yes. But uh, but I, part of the reason was that I loved Tilda... I didn't know anything about the comic, for one thing, yeah. but also that I loved Tilda Swinton in Doctor Strange, and I was really glad to see her back here. Yes. You know? And really uh, and she that... has just this one scene where she just has a presence. Yeah, she's And fantastic. a tone, and a, yeah, yeah. she's wonderful. So And actually, that wouldn't be an issue if there were Asian characters elsewhere in the film. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, but they're not actually. Yeah. Or, well, know, it's just Benedict Wong few. who plays one of the yeah. you know, like Doctor Strange's second in command type. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, uh, like, uh, we are totally in agreement on this. Yeah, we are. Actually. We are. Uh, um, there's one thing I want. Well, I've made a few notes, obviously. Um, okay. There's one thing I want. One thing. One other thing I want to say about the kind of the overarching story and the way this kind of film sort of ends a movement of films, mm. which is that there's been this ongoing story since the first Avengers film, really. Avengers Assembly, it was called in this country. Um, this ongoing conflict of a sort between uh, Iron Man and Captain America. And it's kind of... It, it's always seemed like a... Like a um, like a fight for control of the group. Yes. Kind of. And then it became quite explicit in the... Uh, in Civil War, which was, you know, ostensibly a Captain America film. It was Captain America Civil War, but it involved absolutely everybody. It was huge. And it was about their giant philosophical difference about which way the Avengers should go yes. and it's referenced again here and part of the story of this film is about um, the two of them being able to work together again mm. and kind of getting over their trust issues with each other and their differences and there's a there's not only is that dealt with in the story as I, as I say but it's also dealt with in a kind of meta fictional sense it's like the, it's because there's a kind of fight for control of the films in a way, like whose whose films are these overall? Are they Robert Downey Jr.'s or are they yes. uh, uh, Chris Chris, Chris Evans's? Because it was funny to me that um, in the in the kind of promotional run up to all of this, people talking about the end of it and and the actors kind of on Instagram are talking about like oh it's, it's the end of my time with with all my friends and stuff. It seemed to be Chris Evans who was getting all of the kind of attention weirdly. Well, um, I'm not surprised, but I don't particularly follow Instagram or anything. But that's that's just this kind of sense I got of like it's it's Chris Evans leaving that was the big deal kind yes. of to people, which surprised me because these films started off with Iron Man, and I kind of always but, thought of them as Iron Man's films. Well, I I don't. I mean, just because they started off with Iron Man, and you know, there is like this whole nostalgia for Iron Man. Mm. Um, but the you know the Iron Man films didn't do anywhere near the money that you know the Black Panther or the Avengers films have done. Well, they said, I mean, they as the films got more and more popular and more and more involved, they I think just went on to make more and more money. Mm. I think had the film started off with Captain America, you would have probably found the same trend with Iron well, Man that, coming in. Well, that's so. true. I don't think, um, but um, I mean, I've I've never gotten. I mean, everybody likes Robert Downey Jr., but I don't think he's a, he's beloved, you mm. know, as a star. I think he uh, was when when Iron Man was in that in the kind of the first five years of when it, I think at that point it really seemed like it was just Iron Man's team. 
Right. You know, like they, they, the Avengers would all well, hang around Stark Tower, and that's where they would meet up. He got all the technology and stuff, and yes. he seems to be the one kind of in charge. Well, and I think it's as the films have developed, Captain America seems to have uh, taken on more of a. I think I think that kind of happened in that in the um, Civil War film where he kind of took a stand and said, "I'm, I'm, we're splitting up here." Yes. You know. Well, anyway, I'm kind of, I'm actually glad that they're both out of the picture. I think it'll open up creative opportunities for you know Marvel. Yes, I think the way the one the fun thing I want to get to about it though is the way that this film ends up kind of dealing with it is I think it's something I really picked up on. I think it's kind of interesting because um, although it's a team effort, what's going on in these films, saving the world and everything, um, people have their moments, and there's one particular thing where they argue about who's going to make the snap when they've gathered the stones for themselves and can put, try and put everything right. Who's going to make the snap? Because only one person can wield the glove, and actually, at that point in the film, it's it's the Hulk, which has another thing going on. But when it finally happens right at the end, that moment is given to Iron Man, yes. and he's the one who's given the moment of sacrificing himself, killing himself by doing the snap because it's such a powerful surge of energy it kills him, sacrificing himself to save the world, and then he's given this funeral that's so overdone, as if he's okay, the first that, that lasts too long. As if he's the first person to ever die in one of these films. Yes. Although in a way he kind of is because you know, like a lot of a lot of other people have died, but the, the main heroes have all been alright. So well it has this weird We don't know what Scarlett Johansson though, you know, I'm hopeful there's a hint that she'll be back. I don't know. Yes, because when the Hulk put the glove on, he said the first thing I wanted was for her to return. Yeah, he said. He, yeah, what he said was, "I tried to make a return, and he couldn't." No, well, we don't know whether because they make the not. point that they're gone because Nebula, uh, not Nebula, Gamora is the same thing. Chris Pratt, uh, Chris, yeah, Chris Pratt wants her back. There's so many fucking Chris's. Um, Chris Pratt wants her back, and right at the end, he's looking for where he can find her. So there's this thing of they want them back, but and as you say, obviously anyone can come back to life when they want. So, I think Scarlett know. Johansson will be back. Um, but the other part of it is, so you get that funeral scene with, with Tony Stark and how everyone is going to miss him. Um, but the very end of the film is given to Chris Evans. Okay, yes. It's about, he, he, you know, he, having gone into the past to put all the stones back, decides to stay. This really lovely thing where they, they meet him again as an old man. He's waiting for them. Uh, and he says, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but we as the audience get to see, and we get to see in the 1950s him in a house with the wife. Well, actually probably the 40s a house with his wife dancing yes. and it's just close up of the two of their faces and they kiss and so the the emotional kind of core and end of the film is given to him and as yes. I say I never cared about any of the characters really I never cared about their emotional lives but that was a very very nice moment that was a very nice moment actually the film is full of them I thought the moment uh, between um, Hawkeye and Black Widow when you know they're each struggling over who will sacrifice their life was very touching. Yeah, so that's the scene where they have to get the soul stone, and as has been established in the previous film, they have to sacrifice something they love. And what the film is doing is saying they love each other, yeah. and not only do they love each other, they they love each other so much that they want to be the ones to sacrifice themselves, yes. as opposed to forcing the other person to die. Yes, and I think that that scene really struck me as a case of show don't tell, because while they were talking it over, I didn't believe that they loved each other. Really, I kind of knew they were supposed to, but I didn't believe it. And then it's only once, basically, you know, actions speak louder than words. It's only once they start fighting over it, and they, and you know, uh, he, he kind of throws her to the ground, and then she stuns him, and then he shoots her in the leg. And 
constantly one-upping each other to try and be the one to sacrifice themselves. That's when I believed it. Yes, it's very beautifully done, uh, you know, because it kind of, you know, the emotion is carried through the action. And that's an action sequence, mm. right? So so I thought that was lovely. I mean, the, full, the film is really kind it's of... It's quite wonderful. novel, that scene. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's really, really well executed. Um, I also admired all the world building because actually you're traveling through different worlds. So, you know, in some you're on space and some you're in Thanos' world. In some, you are in an Earth that's been uh, despoiled of half of its population and deserted and so on. Uh, you know, in others, you are in, con you know, contemporary New York. Narratively, the film goes through 2012, 2014, 2015, mm. right? And kind of, you don't feel that you're lost at any, at any moment, really, you know? So mm. I think yes. that's, that's quite amazing. Um, you know, it's an amazing achievement. But uh, so I think that all that part of it has a that has that kind of mechanical aspect of like they're very good at establishing things and keeping you uh, aware of exactly where you are and what's going on. But feels like I need more. Yes. Somehow. No, no, I agree with <laughs> you. Know. You know, I mean, kind of. Uh, so, so people were touched, but it felt kind of a bit manipulative, actually. Um, you know, uh, um, and it certainly didn't illuminate you know, what it is to be human or what the world is like or, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I did, uh, I was moved by it, um, but it didn't touch me very deeply. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think what you were saying about this feeling like the most comic booky of the films, in a sense, is what I felt too. Um, and what I mean that by that is that having kind of since Infinity War got used to the idea that of course these things are comic books on screen, of course they're there, there, there's impermanence and everything that's going on and all this stuff. Um, this had a feeling of, in a sense, a kind of lightness and and uh, a sort of freedom. And I think it was best expressed around that around that section where they they travel back in time to various times. They go back to the various movies, and this is something that I talked to my brother about, saying, you know, I, I think he might mention it to me. You know, I reckon they're going to go back to the old movies, and yeah. I was thinking like, um, that there's a there's a there's a D twelve song called My Band, and and part of that is the rapper Bizarre saying I was in all of Eminem's old videos in the back, and then the the music video shows you him just hanging out in the back of these music yeah. videos. I thought, oh god, it'd be great if it's like that, and actually it is kind of like that. And um, the film has a, they has a kind of a freedom of like as soon as they basically say let's do time travel let's build a time machine the film has a kind of sense of awareness of the the, the absurdity of saying that yes. but it goes with it right and so once it goes with it I kind of went with it and and so that that kind of silliness that that sense of absurdity despite the fact it's kind of it's trying to build a really serious thing about getting our old friends back and everything it's also quite absurd yes and, and I think what you're saying it balances those tones. And it's very self-knowing as well. There's that whole discussion of uh, everything you've ever heard about time travel is wrong, you know, um, and it kind of uh, it particularly disses the Black to the Future films. Back to the Future. Back to the Future film. In, uh, in a and very, Terminator 2. Yes. Uh, in quite a very funny and witty way. Um, but it is, it kind of, it destroys the logic of Marvel as well because, you know, one, one of the things I remember reading um you know as a as a kid who grew up reading marvel comics is you know your every, every every time you change the past it has repercussions mm. one of the things that you must never do is like you know 
find your other self in the past and you know you certainly cannot touch it you know <laughs> and you know it kind of it breaks all the rules yeah well it, it kind of it is what it establishes in that scene is um in that scene where they talk about you know previous time travel movies and then and the, and the whole point is going do you think time travel works like it does in the movies and of course, like this is a fucking movie, and as, and, as I, and as I said to you later on, like they are, li- there's a scene, that scene where Tilda Swinton shows up. Yeah. They literally have a timeline which splits off. And yeah. I said, this is Back to the Future Two. They draw that same diagram in Back to the Future Two. So not only is this like the movies, it's like one very specific movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that kind of notwithstanding, what this film establishes with its version of time travel is everything that has happened has happened. You know, you yes. have the Hulk saying out loud, you know. It doesn't work like going back and changing stuff. The stuff that's happened in your past has happened. Yes. So you will go back to somewhere else and change it. That's yeah. what it establishes. Yes. Um, and again, I think it's doing that same thing that I said, the Star Trek thing of going, the past has happened. You don't have to feel like we're throwing away the previous films. You know, th- that all counts. Yes. Even as they, I mean, they do something quite interesting, which is they say, when you bring everybody back, they say to the Hulk when he's trying the glove, when you bring everybody back, bring them back in the five, like with the five years in between yes. you know, don't reset it to what happened to before Infinity War basically they're saying like leave the gap that's kind of interesting like, why would they particularly say that it can only be for the audience really and to yes. preserve the the overarching story for the audience's sake yeah, so the audience yeah. doesn't have to feel like they've lost something yeah you know yeah. it's kind of interesting that is that is interesting um, can I say one or two more things okay I think um, Captain Marvel is a, a complete waste of time and actually oh I don't agree and actually kind of a basin switch in this no I don't agree I loved her and actually what I particularly loved about her is that she's sporting a new uh, butch look <laughs> yeah so I think that's also a nod to something so um, you know she basically saves everybody's ass um, and I think that's a way of kind of making women count more in this universe I think that's very deliberate and very thought through, you know. I think the bait and switch, I think the bait and switch is that there was that teaser at the end of Infinity War where just before he dissolves, Nick Fury manages to get his text off to her. Uh-huh. And you see that page in the Captain Marvel movie that he goes, oh, so she's going to be the save the day thing. Yes. And actually what she does is save uh, Iron Man, Iron Man right at the start. And then what she do really? She shows up again later on, but she no, just she destroys. She just participates in the fight. No, she destroys all of Thanos' spaceships. Yeah, she flies through the big one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a big deal. Mm. Um, it is. It doesn't feel big enough. Well, I felt like I felt like that was going. She's going to be the key to this. She's not the key. She's a part of it. Yeah, well, she's an important part of it. I mean, you could say the same thing about Black Panther. So you know. She, no, I, I no, I couldn't because because of of what was being set up. I think. In Infinity War, I don't think like she's I, going to be the difference here. Well, I think she was the difference. Um, so I think everybody's given their moment, and I think her moment is an important one. Hmm. But I agree with what you say about her look, and, and um, it, that, that's that moment that we mentioned where the female heroes all get together on, in the yes. battlefield and they get just their kind of moment of assembling on their own. I wonder what you made of that, because. Um. We've been talking. It felt tokenistic. It felt tokenistic, and I we've been talking about one or two things like that in previous podcasts recently. Yeah. These kind of these these nods to um, kind of the, or not nods, but sort of e- efforts to I mean, point out diversity or certain type of characters and that sort of thing, and that had this, that had a, a shade of it here. Yeah, I mean, you know, but if the film was kind of really 
um, aiming to represent women better, it would have given them 50% of the action yeah. and 50% of the drama, where really, you know, um, like, kind of, they get maybe, like, 10% or something, like... Mm. Well, there's the, ne- there's the Nebula character, who has a significant role. Okay, um, the Nebula character who's got a significant role, but you right. know, Scarlett Johansson, Johansson has two scenes, yeah. really. So, I mean, you know, that's it feels tokenistic, because on the one hand, the film is telling you, look at all these strong women, and aren't they great, and whatever. And then five seconds later, cut, and you're just seeing mainly men thrashing each other around. Yeah. So <laughs> that, 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 that moment in the film kind of pointed out. It's like it's like um, it's like International Women's Day, right? And whenever International Women's Day happens, then men go, "Well, what about International Men's Day?" Yeah. And it's like, "Well, every day is International Men's Day." That's right. It? And in this film, every day is International Men Fighting Day. Yeah. And there's just one moment where it's International Women Fighting Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it points out how masculine the rest of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Now we'll, what was uh, your other point? Um, I yeah, I kind of just this is this is I suppose in the context of everything else not that important, but I think this film makes Thanos make less sense, and actually it points out what a crap villain he was in a sense in the first film that he's just he's just like you, th- you think when you think about what's going to be the the giant thing that they finally have to face at the end of all this, and it's just a big dude. Oh, I don't think you so. Know. And then in this. They they kill him right at the start, but then an alternate universe version of him. Uh, they kill him. They have to from, kill him again from twenty fourteen. Finds his way into the future with evil. I Nicola. love him, and his motivation that alternate version makes less sense than it did in the first film because like, I, well the thing it's is just clear. Well, he's given less narrative weight because you know you have to juggle him amidst every other superhero in the Marvel comic uh, universe. Um, but I thought Josh Brolin was absolutely great uh, in 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 playing the part. Um, so um, you know he doesn't have the same drama of sacrificing his daughter and choosing between the daughters and you know all this stuff that he's given in the previous film. But you know that's not the fault of the character. And actually, you bring all of that information to your understanding of this particular film. So I loved him. Fair enough. I think this film. Certainly, the first half of it, before just the fight begins with Thanos towards the end, um, when they're when they're going back and putting everything together and trying to get the stones, it had the feeling of um, like a DVD extra in a way, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like I really liked it. I liked the way it was kind of going behind the scenes. So, for instance, you see um, the Avengers giant fight with the uh, aliens, Chitauri, I think, in twenty twelve mm. in the Avengers film. And then you see the aftermath, the cleanup crew, yes. and how they work for Hydra secretly, and so that's how they're going to get the stones because they've got control of the yeah, the, yeah. the the whatever the mind stone in the scepter and blah blah blah. Like you had this feeling of sort of um, is like uh, like in Austin Powers when they go, no one thinks about the family of a henchman, and they go like <laughs> the, like the henchman's wife and child at home who are sad that he's dead. Yeah. Had that kind of feeling of like behind the scenes, and it kind of didn't feel like a movie at that point. It felt like. Like um, I don't know. It's it, like I said, like a DVD extra. It was weird and kind of fun. Um, I kind of novel. I enjoyed that. And um, actually, that was when the film was at its kind of most interesting, most exciting, and most original for me. Oh, I don't know. And I do wish that when they'd gone back in time and they and you revisited those old movies, they'd done more with the characters' versions of their old selves. And what I mean is that you kind of see them. There's, there's one moment I'm thinking of in particular where you see the Hulk in in the Avengers fight 
in 2012. Yes. And you see the new Hulk, who's this kind of combination of Bruce Banner and the I Hulk, love the new Hulk. Which I think is kind of novel. Um, and actually, Ruffalo's my, the exception to my everybody else's kind of an argument. argument. <laughs> um, so what happens is the, is the new Hulk sees the old Hulk, who is just hulking out the way he classically does. And he's kind of ashamed of like what he used to be like. But if we're talking about this theme of... of um, you, you talk about second chances, and I think the theme is kind of more general in that it's about our pasts. Because it's literally about revisiting the pasts. Yes. And when he sees his old self, he has this, there's this conflict between who he was and who he is now. And I kind of think more could have been done with that, with other characters as well. Well, you know, that is Thor's um, storyline. Um, mm, yeah. So... I kind of I, I wish I wish there'd been more I kind of I would like to have seen what the world is like it, it, it feels a shame that it has to go into fights all the time you know I kind of want to see just how these characters are getting on and, yes you know, I the, like the, the fights the best parts of these films are always when the characters are talking um, I think certainly kind of all the comic bits uh, and all the bits that were moving uh, definitely were uh, you know, with the characters talking. Um, but I think the spectacle and the action, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it, again, very difficult to do with so much going on and so many characters and so many villains and so many spaceships. I think it was really beautifully done. Well, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very efficient, well-oiled machine of a movie. Okay. I thought it was a little bit better. Is that, that too, you think yeah. I'm being too uncharitable? I think it's an amazing yeah. achievement. Uh, you know, I think it was a hugely enjoyable film. I'm sure I'm going to watch it again every time it pops up on television. I still think it's not art. You know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's a hugely enjoyable movie. You know, it's kind of, it's no more than that. It's a cultural product. Yes, it is. As opposed to art. I think, and as I say, I think if it kind of closes a chapter and opens a new one in interesting ways, then it'll be interesting to see what comes next. And obviously I think we will see them, we'll continue to see these films. Yeah, it was great fun. Uh, to watch and as I said you know I, my, I take my hat off to it I mean a film that makes you laugh and cry is a huge achievement you didn't um, cry though no I didn't no um, it made some idiots cry <laughs> <laughs> you said it not me yeah. and I meant it <laughs> <laughs> alright well on that note I think we should stop yeah yeah so um, thank you very much for listening we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on iTunes SoundCloud and YouTube and uh, on social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so it's three days after we saw Avengers Endgame. We haven't seen it again, but I'm around at yours because we're seeing a Stuart Lee thing later, this this rock thing in, at the electric. Um, and we've decided let's let's have a catch-up. Let's see if we've thought about it anymore. You've we've read a New York Times article that you've found. Yes, I kind of... I read um, a, a New York Times round table of um, the the New York Times critics, so Scott and Manola Dargis and the others, in which they basically discussed the film. And then kind of once I read it, I thought, oh, how dumb of me, really, because, you know, like th there are some of the things that they mentioned were things that had been going in, you know, that I'd been thinking about for a while and often about kind of things other than the Avengers films. Um, and then I could just kick myself for not having brought it up, yeah. you know. Uh, there are also here, a couple so. of things that were on my mind as well. The film primarily has not really been on my mind, mm. which 
I think you might consider an under underachievement of it, considering it's supposed to be the culmination of twenty five films or something. Well, we um, left we left the podcast saying, you know, it's a really fun film, it's really entertaining, but it's not art. And actually, it's 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 demonstrably true in the sense that there was nothing in it that lingered in your mind that kind of you know that you wanted to explore or that resonated. Mm. So really, kind of for me, it's more a question of. You know, these are things that I wanted, or I wish I would have said, you know, in the podcast immediately after we saw it, and that you know, have percolated a few days later. Exactly. But but it's not because the, the film has been playing in your mind. The couple of things that I want to want to say um, are both things that are picking up on points I made in the first podcast, but didn't get out properly. Ah, okay. I hadn't worked out properly. When so I, let's let's begin with you. Then. Well, the first thing was I I talked about. Um, the film having, I said kind of, I think generally, the film feels, quote-unquote, the most comic booky that I think Marvel has felt. Mm. And I didn't really know how to express it other than if they felt like a freedom or a lightness to it. And what I kind of think I've realised is that it's to do with um, a kind of lack of taking itself seriously. I say lack, that, doesn't, that kind of makes it sound like a bad thing. But what I mean is, like, when you think, on, when you think back to Infinity War... Part of the reason that I was so sucked in by that movie and kind of believed in the ending and everything was that it was so dramatic and took itself so seriously, mm. and we're set and we're kind of making these big overtures to, to to ending and and the kind of size of the task and all that sort of thing. And when I and I said like part of the attraction of Endgame was I want to see how they get out of it. You know, mm. what's the game? The game of how they get out of it. And um, when you think about how they do that, it's 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 incredibly kind of. Um, Skipped over, really. It's uh, we invented time travel, you know, like Scott. Scott, uh, and we ignore all the rules that have ever been used for. <laughs> well, no, they don't ignore them. They, they say we're not going to do Back to the Future, and then they do Back to the Future too. But well, but the, but it's like, but they just invent it. You know, you have this thing with Iron Man. They go to see Iron Man at his cottage with his family, and he says, "No, I'm not interested." And then secretly, he basically puts in his computer and says, Siri, how do I do time travel? And Siri works it out for him. And he goes, now I've got this wrist GPS time travel thing. We can do time travel. Like, it is it is that easy in the film. You know what I mean? It's not that, like, the challenge is not how are we going to do this? It's what are we going to do once I think, we're using it? I think the reason why I had reservations about you using, you know, comic book in that sense is, you know, that there is an argument to be made for certain runs of comic books by certain artists and writers um, that are really great art, you know, that did yeah. take themselves very seriously and that did deal with complex issues. So I think we have to use another term to That's kind That's probably of not the right term. I, I agree. Like I'm, Because uh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about things like um, like Killing Joke, like Alan Moore and yes, things but like also, that and, and Frank you know, uh, Miller. The Frank Miller, the Electra series, I mean, you know, kind of those are, th those are things that yeah. kind of... You know, I resonate. That. So, like, it's not that's not quite the right term, but in terms of the sort of um, the lightness of being able to go and now we, and now everything's fixed and we can just move straight yes. on. Like, it doesn't it doesn't carry on from the level of seriousness that I think the entire series of Marvel films has been trying to uh, approach or use or generate whatever. Like, it. it every, the challenges that this film faces in that respect, it just goes, ah, now we can go through time. <laughs> feels well, like another film that would have been... It feels like there could be five hours... For me, that's the least of its of its yeah. problems, you know? Sure. Um, you know, that narrative agility of being able to do things with a, 
with a kind of ease. Hmm. I mean, you know, you see that in all kinds of fantasy yeah. kind of texts. It's, it's hardly unusual. But when I said uh, that, like, um, Captain Marvel in this film, I found her a kind of bait and switch because I, I felt like I'd been led to believe she would be more important than she was. Uh-huh. I feel in a similar way about the complexity of the solution to the problem that Infinity War set up of how do we get these people back. It just kind of goes, and now we can do it. Yes. See what I mean? I do. I do see what you mean. Um, that felt like a little bit of a letdown in, in a way because I kind of that was part of the attraction for me. Well, for me, there are two things in terms of it being a, a letdown and in terms of um, what we ended up discussing. You know, that, uh, our our closing statement of, but it's not art. Um, so, you know, one of the things that um, really caught my eye was how. You know, the film uh, is discussed in um, the New York Times and also by Matt Solarsites. Uh, you know, he's saying, well, this is the end of kind of, you know, this is this is no longer kind of cinema. It's just basically content, right? Mm. Which I think is interesting. And one of the things that was discussed by the New York Times Roundtable is, you know, how 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 it's not cinema, right? So again, it's kind of, or it's not cinematic. I forget what expression they used, right? how, you know, it's basically kind of a type of storytelling, um, but but that kind of, that focuses on kind of narrative, that is not very visual, that it doesn't really kind of symbolize or use kind of a lot of metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, well, this is interesting because it's true, really. The A.O. A. Scott um, refers to the series as a monument to adequacy. A mo- <laughs> and, to adequacy. and he talks about, he talks about in the Harry Potter series, um, People who are into films and critics um, talk about Prisoner of Azkaban being yeah. the best Harry Potter film, the one that was directed by Alfonso Cuarón. Yes. Um, but Harry Potter fans uh, tend to dislike it the most. Yes. It's the one that kind of least uh, reflects what they think of the series and that sort of thing. Yes. So this is kind of mismatch between the cinema and the, the stories they're based on. That's right. So, you know, the things that we were talking about are, you know, kind of films that are interesting. I mean... They're often odd or quirky or weird or surrealistic or symbolic or they have kind of a shot or an image or something that kind of disturbs or lingers in your mind or makes you think about something, mm. right? And actually kind of the argument is that these films are all about the elimination of all of that, right? Mm. Yeah, anything that's kind of disturbing, troubling, that, you know, kind of it's all kind of streamlined into mass acceptability by fans, yeah? It's kind of, mm. you know... So that kind of this catering to fans and pleasing fans, yeah, it's almost kind of like, you know, the opposite of what kind of, you know, film art is. I mean, you know, the sense of commercial cinema in a way has always been about kind of getting an audience, right? Mm. But there are many ways of kind of, of getting an audience. Um, and kind of the argument seems to be that, you know, this whole series, kind of part of the reason why it's successful is because it streamlines everything. But on the other hand, the way that it kind of streamlines things, yeah, so kind of if part of our argument was, and you were, you know, kind of very interesting on this because I kept saying, well, you know, but it's interesting visually. You, know, you kept saying, well, I don't think so, you know, and then kind of we talked about, you know, kind of what we meant by that. Um, and I think kind of, you know, I think you're right, but what what the uh, New York Times article made me think about and you know again I said it's something that I've been thinking about very much I especially thought so when I watched uh, 
you know, Beyonce's number in the Super Bowl at the midterm. You brought this up before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where like every dance move was just militaristic. Mm. Right. And actually, I thought that was almost like Lenny Riefenstahl. It was speaking things about the culture, Mm -hmm. you know, that the culture itself might be unaware of. But that nonetheless is there, right? So, mm. you know, to have like these armies of people kind of dancing and these very aggressive militaristic movements, right? That mm. were all they were all doing them at the same time. It was it was pretty much like a kind of a, a totalitarian regime's idea of, you know, a, a, a stadium show, yeah. right? Like it's the kind of thing that you see with with tanks and flags and that make images in communist countries. There was that kind of mm-hmm. rigidity and precision and so on. And actually, I think you see that in these Avengers films. It's true, I think, you know, that they are all about war, you know, that they have undertoes of authoritarianism, right? So, you know, often somebody like, uh, you know, Captain America will um, question authority, right? But everything is about kind of bringing it back once more, right? You know, Mm. so I think the films do have a kind of, you know, they're all about war. They're always about kind of battle. Um, they're always about um, managing resources through the ability to manage particular types of training, yeah, and particular types of power, right? So, well, you know, Ant-Man, uh, Black Widow, right? But kind of... You know, they're all brought to bear on the battle sequences um, in a way that is organized. Um, so I, th- I think there are a lot of things to be questioned, right? So, I mean, there is almost like this kind of... On the one hand, there's a dismissiveness of it, which is kind of very typical of, um, of the popular, right? So The dismissiveness all, of the films. Of the films. Oh, yeah, there's a real dismissiveness of Marvel films. I mean... You know, whether you like it or not, they are the most significant uh, mode of cinema of the last 10 years. You know, one of the arguments is they've actually radically altered what commercial cinema is and can be at the moment, right? But you have a whole sector of the population that, you know, uh, dismisses them entirely. And then you have another sector of the population that kind of worships (laughs) them uncritically. Likes them in nothing but... Yeah, or yeah. that these are the types, the only types of films that they go see. Were those you know, people that you said you you mentioned the couple of guys sitting next to you, at saying, "Do you really think this is going to be the best film?" Yes, ever? Well, did time. they really say that? They did. Yes, That's madness. Uh, so you know, so 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 there are almost like those two poles. I'm sure there's stuff in between, mm. but those two poles kind of really exist. You know, and maybe what there isn't enough of is, you know accepting these films on their own own terms but nonetheless kind of you know applying uh, uh or making a critique of them you know on the grounds that kind of um every on the very same basis you know that all of the things that are important all the cultural artifacts or experiences of culture uh are kind of uh, analyzed through and i think you know the idea that these films are militaristic that they are about war, that actually they do tell us something about America at this moment, you know, kind of, you know, in spite of all of the celebrations of the Black Panther, you know, he's but like, what, 100% of the representations of the superheroes, I don't know how many superheroes we now get in the Marvel films, right? Loads. But yeah, there's been 22. Literally loads. There's been 22 films and there's probably like 100 superheroes or 50 or whatever. 
there's one black superhero, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in the whole of the Marvel Universe, kind of, you know, there are many uh, token female superheroes, but really, there's only been one that has had her own film, right? There was a good point, a really interesting point that, that someone made in the New York Times article about Black Panther, the film in particular, uh, and talking about Killmonger, the, yes. um, the villain in that, because uh, we were really kind of we were really impressed, I think, by by how how he died. Basically, he yes. dies saying, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, die on your feet rather than live on your knees. Yes. You know, I, I can't. I can't go on living if I choose to die. Basically. Yes. Um, and and that's a kind of that was a really powerful kind of kind of statement to put in this film. And I kind of I, I still agree with that. But what they're saying in the article is like, but he still dies, right? Yeah. And ultimately, Wakanda is able to assimilate kind of his political perspective into itself as it goes on. Yeah. They talk about they talk about Oakland, where Killmonger comes from, becoming a kind of protectorate of Wakanda at the end, mm. which is an interesting way of looking at it. And they talk about a kind of the tech billionaire superiority of these films, with Wakanda yes. being this kind of tech sort of Silicon Valley and um, and obviously Iron Man is this kind of tech or also weapons manufacturer billionaire who kind of starts the whole thing off in 2008. And I thought that was kind of that was an interesting like it's not it's not just the case that Killmonger sort of you know, Killmonger gets his point out, and yeah. you have people going, Killmonger was right, and I agree with him, and so on. But he still dies, and he's defeated, and his point kind of is assimilated or dissipated. Yes. Um, the film, the you know, the, the kind of the world gets to carry on being militaristic, and yes. Uh, well, you know, the argument that I was making also about all these heroes being kind of Aryan, you know, which I suppose, and and it's only kind of later that it I ticked about. You know, why were you objecting to Aryan when I meant kind of Northern European? I, I now get the distinction very clearly. <laughs> so, um, but that's still something, right? Yes. Like, you know, why, why, you know, why, why are they visualized that way? I mean, yeah, it is a kind of racism. And the films do kind of exhibit a kind of sexism. I mean, it's basically like ideology 101. It was very interesting that that shot we mentioned of all the women kind of being put together in one shot. You know, it's also something that's being really discussed, you know. And it's kind of discussed um, mm. both as something that is completely tokenistic, you know. And then maybe, and then one of the people in the round table said, oh, you know, but it still kind of got me excited. And then the argument can be, well, isn't it pathetic, you know, that we're being excited, that we're getting excited by this completely tokenistic gesture. Yeah. Right, which occupies so little of the film and which actually in some ways kind of underlines you know, how sexist the whole project is. And now, you know, there's a difference between kind of, you know, being actively misogynist, right, and kind of, you know, depicting a women in hateful ways, or, you know, this other kind of sexism, which is kind of structural, but it also has to do with mindfulness, with not paying attention, you know, with kind of asserting one's own preferences and with marginalizing and excluding, right? And you can argue that, you know, the sexism evident in the Marvel films, you know, might not be a deliberate one, but that doesn't mean that it's not there or it's not, not as evidently there. And that kind of shot just absolutely underlines that. Yeah, yeah it's because there is a, there is one way of looking at it, which is that the films have, have been set up in this very white, masculine world and were for years and years. And it's only in recent years that uh, kind of social pressure uh, has um, got Marvel to go, okay, well, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, like would start doing something a little bit different. But then on the other hand, kind of when it comes to the, the giant centerpiece 
movie, which is Endgame, it, those characters are once again relegated to being the, the very Martins. tiniest parts. Yeah. You know, and actually, Marvel has no excuse because you know I remember reading, you know, the, the comic books in the early seventies, and they were all full of black power and you know, kind of. So, so actually, they know all of the arguments about race, mm. right? But actually, kind of, you know, in their cinematic franchises, they might know the arguments and they might know what to do, but they haven't done it, which makes it worse, right? So they can't even kind of beg uh, ignorance or. Um, you know, they have no excuse because if you look at those comic books, all of the arguments are there <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. You know, I mean, it's been going for 10 years and the idea that the Miss Marvel film came out last year, you know, was a success as seeing as some being something extraordinary or as a groundbreaker or as something that opens new ground. And you think like, really, that's where we're at at the moment, you know. So, so I think the film's are open to all of those kinds of criticisms. And, you know, and I, and I think, actually, if you analyze that, the film those ways, they really speak of an ugliness in the culture. Mm. You know, the fact that, you know, uh, they're, they're quite dystopic, um, but they're dystopic in things, or their idea of dystopia, or the, their, the context for the dystopia is as a battle, you know, through which might alone is the only factor. Yeah, I was thinking back uh, on that final giant battle in Endgame, because really the whole film is one battle, really. They talk about this in the article. Kind of The rest of the film is building up to it, but actually there's only one big fight, which yeah. is that final one. Um, and in that fight, th this goes to the other point that I wanted to make, uh, which is a, which is comparative to everything you've been talking about. It's really minor, because it's just about the story. Uh -huh. <laughs> but it's about what, when I said that Thanos was kind of rubbish, um, what I think I meant, what, I, what I've realised is that um, because this is an alternate reality Thanos, um, he doesn't know anyone, right? Like, he, he basically shows up and has a fight with them, but this is a Thanos who doesn't know these people. And there's one line of dialogue where he says, I think it's to Scarlet Witch, he says, I don't even know who you are. Oh. And it kind of feels pointing that up. And, um, and it kind of makes him just make very little sense. He's just a big, angry dude who wants to of these stones. But it doesn't make much sense. Like, he's he's seen Nebula's uh, recordings. So he kind of knows what's going on. But it's basically like he's been cramming, like, revising. Mm. Like, who I should hate and all who these people are. So that kind of doesn't make sense. But then there's that one moment with Scarlet Witch where uh, she kind of lands in front of him. And this is when he says, I don't know who you are. And I think she says, um, you will, or something like that. And I kind of thought that might then go to sort of she would use her because she's got these mind powers mm. she's supposed to be the most powerful one I think she has these kind of mind powers and I thought that she would um, maybe like get into his mind and show him the kind of destruction that he's wrought and the, all the stuff from the start of the movie where everyone is in pain and all the people that they've lost and so on earth the destruction of the place like that would like, like to kind of tell him who he is and what he's done and all that sort of thing actually what happens is they punch each other yeah. basically but like it's it's it, that's a huge kind of that was another huge letdown I think yes and I kind of I think also it. you know for me one of the things that has always bothered me about these films is you know the way that people are killed left and right as if it's of no consequence and actually not just people but also the fact that you can raise entire cities and it doesn't matter right you know and and of course you know that speaks of an attitude really mm. yeah where kind of you know um 
the, the property of others doesn't matter, but also kind of people don't matter and people's lives don't matter. You know, it just, it all becomes collateral damage. So long as it doesn't affect you, it's collateral damage, right? And I think the films very much take that attitude, you know? Yeah, or if it's for a quote-unquote greater good, you know? New York was completely destroyed in 2012. Yes. But they, but they managed to stop Loki and they but, got the thing and... So. I know, but they stopped Loki, but that that is like collateral damage. That is something that you would expect the U.S. State Department to say, right? Okay, mm. so, you know, 100,000 civilians died and, like, you know, uh, 1,000 uh, U.S. soldiers died, you know, but we won the battle of whatever and we yeah. took over the strategic country of whatever, right? That's exactly that kind of militaristic mindset. And, and But then that leads to a kind of thing where, again, this is something that they talked about in the article, where... Um, they, they they talked about a, a subplot from the from Avengers, the one that was had the New York fight that was cut, which was going to follow a waitress as she kind of navigated mm. the, um, the the sort of fight that was going on around her and give a kind of perspective of you know mm. an ordinary person caught up in this war, um, and and they and then they go on to say like you end up with these fights that because people started to pick up on this they they primarily I think picked up on it with Man of Steel, mm. the DC film where it was Superman and um, whoever his, his enemy was, flying through buildings and exploding. And it was yeah. just the two of them yeah. exploding all of new... And it was in, insane. Yeah. Um, and then people started going like, okay, what is the casualty? Like, what what is the sort of cost of life yes. in this? And that's when films started to go, let's, let's make sure in dialogue we say, this building is empty. We've established that it's empty. And let's have these fights in Wakanda, for instance, the huge fight in, in Infinity War. There's They're in... Uh, fields, you know, or forests. Mm. There's no one there, and and one of the critics talks about the the fatal snap that um, Thanos does that, that destroys mm. half the universe is done in the middle of a forest somewhere, and it's complete. Like it would have been, it would have been a more interesting shot had it been somewhere, somewhere, somewhere with stakes and something like that. But like they basically re- remove all these battles to places where civilians can't get hurt any longer. Well, you know, which which on the other, which has a, has a separate. Like on the one hand, people aren't getting hurt. On the other hand, they make them really, really. They 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 lose a lot of interest doing that. Well, in places where there aren't so many stakes. I mean, <laughs> you you did see a lot of damage of buildings and you know and people and so on in Endgame. Anyway, well, yeah, because I mean, yeah, half of civilians have been wiped out. And then, like, planes will crash and all this sort of stuff. So you and see the destruction of the world that has resulted. Although I thought it was a bit weird that there was still, you know, ongoing sort of mobile phone coverage and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the, your, the arguments that you're making are very interesting because I think so much of the discussion of this film has really focused on plot. Mm. And actually, in that sense, the comparison of Game of Thrones to this film... Don't, no spoilers. ...is very similar right all of the discussions have been about plot yeah you know about how the plot resolves itself yeah and kind of you know very little about kind of meaning or feeling or mm-hmm. yeah it's all about kind of you know how the plot ties together really you know and not just in this film but through the whole of the series and how it brings in the different strands and so on yeah but yeah so so in that that sense, was part of my realization that this is soap opera as well which i haven't quite figured out like i said that was part of my realization that in soap opera everything is about the plot it's about what's going to happen no, next, but and don't spoil it's anything it's very different than soap opera though you know and i think i mean there was the, the 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 new yorker ran a really interesting article you know talking about narrative and these marvel universe films 
and they're very insistent that, you know, on the one hand, the New York Times says, these films have a sitcom kind of view of the world in the sense that it's all about, you know, people, very different types of people learning how to get along with each other, right? That's mm. the adventures. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, the type of storytelling that they have is not like a soap opera, right? Because a soap opera is constant cliffhangers and plot. But actually, it doesn't have that element of, oh, do you remember what happened in 1972 when Hilda Ogden, blah, 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 and then kind of, you know, how this connects with that and that connects with that. It has a little bit. I mean, this film, uh, the centre of this film is built on going back to previous films where they know they've figured no, out no. where the stones are. I think the films are all about oh, okay. that, all right. right? And kind of bringing in all of these different strands, actually. Uh, and I think the discussion of Game of Thrones has all been about you know, kind of bringing in all of the different plots of all of the different years and how they ultimately connect in this last one. Okay. Right. I think I think that's not what soap operas do. Oh, right. Okay. You know, I mean, you might remember, like, so for example, they will often bring back a character and, you know, there are certainly very famous um, episodes that people remember and that are referred back to. Yeah. But there's not this sense of keeping all of the all of the strands of the 40 years or 50 years of Coronation Street in sure. your head, right? Like, you know, as something is unfolding, That's you know? True. So so that type of narrative storytelling, I think is something that Game of Thrones has very much in common with um, Avengers Endgame. Sure. You know? Okay. And that is different, you know? So, so the argument was, you know, maybe more people saw Dallas and the famous Who Killed J.R. episode, you know, than are seeing, like, Game of Thrones. But... You know, this idea that kind of, you know, you're putting all of the elements of the seven seasons kind of together and at play yeah. in this finale. No, you know, the episode of Dallas didn't ask you to do that. Right? No, no, sure. You know, so, so it's well, in I'm that not talking sense. about Game of Thrones. I'm talking about Avengers. No, no, but... But no, I, I, see, I do get what you mean. The, there's, there's more complexity to the storytelling and it's less about just moving on, mm. keeping on going to the next bit, the next bit, the next bit. So... I mean, but, but my to, to me, to me, the central commonality I'm th I'm thinking about when I talk about soap opera is the idea that plot is king. In that, I mean, you should see people going on about spoilers. You know, yeah. like I mean, obviously we don't, you don't want to spoil it, but um, like any tiny thing can be a spoiler. And and if you know something that happens, it makes everything worthless. But that's why the arguments about this not being cinema or being the end of cinema or just being content or it being a disnification of cinema. This is why they're all so interesting, actually. You know, because there are, very, you know, there are very few films in which plot was the central element. I mean, in fact, film-going practices often were that you could pop in at a film at any time of day. Yeah. Right? And kind of, you know, and you watch the end and then you'd watch the beginning. Right? So beginnings and endings were important. But, you know, the films weren't about plot. Right? Whereas actually so much of the discussion about Endgame like with Game of Thrones, seem to be plot-driven. No, I agree with that. I just think we're talking... We are making slightly different points, though, because you're talking about the complexity of the plot and building in stuff you know and remember from the, the various things that have been built into the story for years and years. That's, I am talking about partly that. What I'm talking about is the idea that if you know something it all of a sudden becomes completely unimportant. Like, like everything... The reason that you're there, and I think the reason I was there, is to see what happens next. It's not about how it happens or to whom it happens or what the characters this and the other. It's about literally I need to know how the plot goes. And I think that is what it has hugely in common okay. with soap opera. Well that's so then that is what it has been reduced to. You know? <laughs> um 
And so these arguments are then very interesting. And I'm not even sure that that's true because, you know, like, like, like me, I'm sure you will often, you know, if Avengers is on television, you've seen it and you'll watch it all over again I and mean, it won't the, be because of the plot. There are other pleasures. That's yeah. absolutely certain. And I've watched a number of the Marvel films a second time. Um, but the initial pleasure, I think, and the reason that people are so uh, kind of aggressive about keeping spoilers away from them, so not looking at Facebook and stuff, just in case someone says something, is because that that that. And I'm like this a little bit with most stuff. Like I don't like things to be spoiled, but um, it's it's been ramped up so much with this, well, and, and I think with Game of Thrones as well. Well, I think I think I think with you Game know, of and it, Thrones, like with EastEnders, when when there was that famous Christmas, like you ain't my mother. If you'd known that twist was coming. It would have ruined. Okay, but I yeah. think that's because you know. Um, well, for me, those things are very much about plot. Actually, I think Game of Thrones is so much about plot that I thought I'd watch. Um, you know, because you've been rewatching, and I thought, oh, I'll just not watch. rewatching. I, I'm only up to season so four and watching. a half. So don't tell me anything that happens after season four and a half. I won't say anything <laughs> after season four and a half. But I thought, oh, I'll just you know, I'll I'll, I'll rewatch one of the years. And actually, I just couldn't be bothered to, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, it just seemed too much of an investment. And I think it really is about plot. And you feel, well, you know the plot, mm. you know, and there's not much else to get from it, really. Um, or anyway, that's the way I felt. Um, so so I think it's interesting if one conceives of, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe about, you know, kind of a type, uh, a mode of filmmaking in which kind of plot, once again, kind of reasserts a dominance over what you know a cinema going experience is mm. and, and I think it, it, it kind of leads to it leads to a kind of stupidity in the people watching it myself included like when you're watching it just for I think this is the, the case with things like um, Star Wars as well you know like how well Star Wars is is the ha- you know I have to know what happens next, and I won't. I, I mean, won't me. But then that becomes the only reason that I'm there. And as I say, like there are other pleasures to these things. There are reasons that you go back and watch these films a second time once you know what happens. It's not the only pleasure; it's just protecting the plot from yourself. I love, I love the first three Star Wars films for many reasons, you know. But even in my most deluded state, I would never make an argument for any of them as art, you know, kind of. <laughs> um, so, and 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 I think very much. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think if we agree that the Marvel films are the dominant kind of mode of filmmaking, you know, at the moment, um, and you know, if they don't aspire to art and if they don't work as art, and I would argue that they don't really, you know, um, for me, I mean, we were talking the other day about you know going to see Happy as Lazarus, and we've had a few experiences like that. You Happy know, as Lazaro. Lazaro. Um, seeing Phantom Thread, you know, there are so many films that they just linger, they're like a worm in your mind, you know, and kind of, you know, and you feel like watching and re-watching and re-watching them, and it's, it's a way of working things through in your own life, or in your attitude to life, you know, and actually, there's no way, I mean, let me tell you, if you're working your life through kind of these films, you have a problem. <laughs> yeah, take heed, nerds. <laughs> yes, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? 
These, these films aren't what I'm obsessed with. I know I can get into them, but like what I'm obsessed with is avoiding spoilers for the Liverpool versus Barcelona first leg of the semi-final tonight. Because <laughs> um, I'm going to miss that because we're seeing the Stuart Lee thing. And if I if I have that spoils me before I get to watch the game, you'll kill someone. I will. I'll go mental. <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, I, I am a, I am a spoiler. There were, I am a spoiler twat. There were a couple of other things that uh, I thought... Because football is just another soap opera. You know, we just build our narratives and just... I want to know what happens next. I th- No, I think football is different. But, you know, that's a discussion for... Well, I, sh- I showed you that Spurs versus Man City game. And it was all about... You don't know how mad it's going to be. And when it was, you were like... Well, that's true. Someone, someone told you it was too all after 10 no, minutes. No, but there's other, there's other elements of, at play in football, you know, and I think it's another discussion. I mean, just watching the way that those kids move in the field <laughs> is like is like awesome, you know. It's like a gift of God or something. It's like watching great dance or and the teamwork. And, and there's all other kinds of things, actually, yeah. at play there. Um, so, uh, but back... So, the other things that I wanted to bring up about the Marvel Cinematic Universe was... You know, this idea that there are no stars, that the characters subsume the stars, right? Yes. And that that is also something actually, you know, significant about the time that we're living in. So, you know, if both Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame are just content, right? And they're content actually for different distribution me- and exhibition mechanisms. Um, and um, if what's important is. Uh, you know, a brand, uh, yeah, then, and also, if Hollywood is also not making films, you know, in which the, the, a star persona is a significant carrier for it, then actually what happens is that the figure of Cap- America, you know, or the figure of Iron Man, or the figure of Aquaman, is actually kind of much more of a brand, and much more of a signifier of a whole set of values, you know, than what the, you know, an individual actor or even star uh, might be able to contribute, and I thought that was that was interesting, and maybe part of the same kind of forces in play, right? Mm-hmm. That along with you know Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe becoming the dominant mode of cinema, that has gone alongside um, the uh, um, the lack of films being made for. A mainstream adult audience you know the kinds of films that Michael Douglas would do right that were often like very big um, box office successes mm-hmm. right I mean I think in another article by um, 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 Martin Zoller sites or yeah Matt Zoller sites Matt Zoller sites you know he was saying oh my god it's unbelievable that you know the War of the Roses you know was a film that was made for 25 million and it grossed 320 million right and it really is about you know, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas practically killing each other, you know, killing each other over a divorce, right? right? You know, so it's like this kind of black comedy, right? But it was like a massive... Was that the one that you talked about? Was that the Danny DeVito or was that something else? Danny DeVito directed it. Yes, that's you've mentioned it before. I've not yeah. seen it yet. Well, you know, that was like a huge box office success. That kind of film is unimaginable. You, you would not be able to make that film now. Mm. I mean, you know, who's going to go see a film, you know, in a cinema about a divorce, right? Kind of whether it has stars or not. Yeah, like, I, mm. you know, you might get an art film, a little art film made about that, but not kind of a mainstream big star vehicle, you know, made on a, on a reasonable budget. Mm. Yeah, but for, for an adult audience, 
Um, so, so yeah, everything's becoming exaggerated. Like they do talk in the article about like they don't make the films anymore where the actors like like Chris Hemsworth and the Chris Evanses and this kind of would go and do to sort of well, it's, it's, it's what uh, someone says. Um, do people want to see Chris Evans do something that isn't Captain America? I don't know, and the movies will probably never let us find out because they don't make the kinds of things anymore that let people like Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans, and even to some extent Chris Pratt, do more than movie star karaoke. You know, the kind of small movie film. star karaoke. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. So they're not, they're not themselves. You know, uh, um, kind of the originators of a performance. They're just kind of, you know. Um, giving a, a voice track or giving an outside track to something that is already kind of pre-made, pre-digested. The beats and the rhythms have already been set, right? And all they do is they embody that moment for a brief little while, yeah. but they themselves are not essential to it. It was Wesley Morris who made that point. Yeah, that's, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful line. And then they go on to make the point, and this was quite an interesting one, that Bradley Cooper is the kind of biggest genius of all the actors in this because he plays Rocket, the raccoon, yes. and... It's a really good performance, and he's got loads of personality and stuff. But he's not. But Bradley Cooper is not walking down the street, with people going, "You're Rocket from," yeah. the, you know. Whereas everyone else is going, "You're Captain America." Yes. You know. Um, no, and then maybe the other it? one is Iron Man, Robert Dangino, I should say. Yes. <laughs> because he's the one who started it, so he gets the credit. Well, yeah, which I think you know, I I think people are going overboard in their praise for him. Myself, you know, he himself, you know, the only success in all the time that he's been doing Iron Man. The only success he's had has been a Sherlock Holmes. So, you know, he's basically played two pre-established characters. He oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... No, I wouldn't say that. But, but, it, but, it, but, as, um, but as Marvel goes, like, he was the one who kicked it off. Well, I mean... And there's did, an argument to be made. Like, there's a similar argu- argument to be made about Pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp and how, you know, would, these, would that franchise be what it is without him? Would Marvel be what it is without him? Well, that's true. That's you know? true. I mean, I think it's certainly true of Johnny Depp. I mean, the films would have been nothing without him. Mm. You know, um, I think the Marvel things will be interesting because you know what I foresee is you know it'll happen. What'll happen with what happened with Superman? That every generation or so, or Spider Man, you know, you'll get a different actor playing the character. But really, what's important is is mm. the leotard, <laughs> not the actor. You know, I mean, an actor can make it better or can make it worse, but actually they're, also they're case, no longer essential. To do you think there's a case in, in the case of Iron Man particularly where, um, basically, if you if you don't come from comic books and you weren't reading them, you will know Batman and you will know Superman, you'll know Spider-Man, you'll know the very biggest characters, even if you've never read a comic book in your life. Yes. But Iron Man I'd never heard of. And the idea that you could come in and put your own personality on him and make him your character for people who didn't know him yeah. and there wasn't an expectation that people should yeah. you know like if, if Marvel had started off with The Incredible Hulk for instance like that was their first movie I think there would have been a, a, a more pressure um, because people have I think people know the character more widely and they have more expectation of him whereas Iron Man you go I don't know who this is it was kind of what small year, what year did the Fantastic Four come out I don't know well because I I think it probably came around the time of Iron Man, and that is a Marvel series, and it bombed, right? And partly it bombed because, well, it was a very poor film, but, <laughs> and some of the acting was very bland, Fantastic right? Fantastic Four, think, 2005, um, and there was a sequel in 2007. Okay, so, and when did the first Iron Man come out? 2008. Okay, so, yeah. you see, Fantastic Four was 
like those are Marvel characters before Iron Man. You know. Yeah, but people. I, but do you think that? But then, as you say, the film was sucked for one thing. Well, but the is, there ne- film but is there a thing of an expectation that is high because people know those characters? No, more? what I'm trying to make an argument here okay. is that Robert Downey Jr. did in fact you know, imbue the character with charisma and emotion and so on yeah. in a way that Reese, whatever his name is, you know, the uh, the Welsh actor didn't do with Mr. Fantastic. I've no idea. Look up who the uh, who the stars were. The Chris Evans is the only one that's really memorable. Chris Evans was in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, you and Griffith. You, yes, him. Ewan Griffith. Right. He came across as like a piece of wood. And also the, the lead actress, whom I like very much, is really, really pretty. But, you know, she's also really bland. Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of, I mean, give give Downey credit, <laughs> whatever it's due. Uh, but not you as much through, as he's been receiving. Through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I just, I think there's also maybe just a slightly um, sort of, sort of, sort of tactical uh, element where you go, let's, let's start off with a character, let's, let's lower expectations at the start. You know, if we start off, if we start off with uh, Spider-Man, well, I mean, they couldn't because Sony owns Spider-Man, but if we start off with The Incredible Hulk, say, you know, um, and we fuck it up, then we've kind of fucked it up forever, whereas, like, you can recover. I mean, Iron Man was great, but then they had Thor, and Thor sucked, but you can recover from Thor, as they did. Yes. You know? Um, I mean, I don't know. Again, you know, and I'm showing my age, but... Kind of, you know, I remember the Spider-Man TV series. There was a Captain America TV series. There was a Hulk television series, mm. right? And they were all hits, right? And they were all primetime hits. So actually, probably just as many Americans saw those things on TV, if not more, mm. on a weekly basis than have seen these films. Um, so, you know, but I think kind of what's what's... What is something to reflect on is you know the effect that these films have had on cinema yeah i mean it is the dominant mode of cinema people will only go out to the cinema to see films like this or of this type and very little else um you know which in many ways is great for tv right like kind of you know there are other things you know kind of um the tv has taken on and is doing much better you know but on the other hand kind of something that used to be called cinema does seem to be um, uh, not easily visible on screens <laughs> in either. Huh? Mm. Mm. You see, my fear is something like Happy as Lazaro is not playing at Cineworld, right? And actually, I don't think watching it on television will be as powerful. I just don't think so. No. You know, I mean... You know, kind of seeing the those, you know, the innocence of Lazaro on a huge screen, those eyes, and just you know that 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 angelic look, and being kind of um, kind of overwhelmed by it. Yeah, it's like you know the head is so much bigger than than yours. It's almost like it's acting on you physically, right? And you're certainly kind of looking at it and contemplating it, and yeah, like it is just a different viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And so if you know, and that's you know, that to me, and certainly until now, you know, has been a type of cinema. And if that's lost, I do think that kind of something important is being lost. You know, mm. that kind of, you know, this, this change or the shift into the audio, the audiovisual, <laughs> right, is now without a cost. I think it's not, it's not lost, but it's um, being misplaced. 
You have, yeah. to, you have to look harder to find it. Well, that's true, but then all other, all other kinds of things are being lost because, you know, cinema was the great popular art form of the last century. So, you know, I mean, what we're now saying is that cinema has become a kind of a middle-class, you know, aesthetic activity, you know, for the bourgeois, for people who can afford it. As it always should be. <laughs> Keep the riff raff And the rest of the peasants just get Avengers Endgame. <laughs> anyway, something to think about. Yes, it's all something to think about, isn't it? Hmm. It's, it, is, it is kind of... It's just a marker of kind of what it is that once you've seen it, it just... Okay, I've seen it now. Like when I, you consider the build-up and it has all been leading to something, you go, oh, it's over now. I think the only... the only, You know, because I have seen all 22 of the Marvel films. Oh, I. And I think the only one that I felt, oh, my God, this is so interesting. I'd like to see it again. You know, and I haven't quite... Um, not resolved it because you never really resolve films but you know come to a deeper understanding of some elements in the film is Black Panther for me mm. you know well, it, it's clearly the best one that they've made and there's a very good reason it got a best picture yes. uh, nomination like that wasn't for nothing um, and there have been interesting things kind of sprinkled throughout all of all of their films yes I but, mean um, yeah yeah I've, you know, I've kind of enjoyed, uh, well, you know, I think I've enjoyed them all to different degrees. I mean, some have been very poor, you know, but I've still enjoyed them. I mean, kind of Venom was poor and so much fun, you know, um, though I've seen it again on, on. Not television. MCU, to be fair. Oh, I thought Venom was a Marvel. No, no, Not he's MC a, he's a Marvel character, but so because, because Sony bought Spider-Man years ago. He's part of that. Oh, right, okay. So okay. the reason that Spider-Man is in these is because Sony basically says, yes, you can. Fine. You can use your own character. Fine. Yeah. You know. So Venom um, is separate. Okay. Um, so, anyway, nonetheless, like, some of the Thor films have been very poor, and yet I've liked I've liked them, and I've liked certain things about them, and whatever. You know, but... Um, I'd say the same about Guardians of the Galaxy, which I still really don't like, but... Oh, I, I, watched, I really like it. I watched the first one a second time when I was. I watched the whole lot when I think we were doing Infinity War, and you know I found I found things to like in it. I I love it, mm. um, but and I think in different ways that you know, uh, um, than uh, Black. I mean, it doesn't compare to Black Panther really. No. Um, so so, you know, putting a damper on the works uh, here. Um, though I still think uh, um, I still think uh, Endgame was great fun. Actually, I don't um, I don't refute any of the things that we said. No. You know earlier in the podcast, but I think you know a kind of a I'm inter and I'm just kind of thinking aloud, and I haven't worked any of these things through, you know. But these things about you know, um, you know that that there was there was little cinematic in the film. You know, that these types of films have become just content that, you know, Disney uh, has not just captured all of the children, but actually the adult audience as well at the moment. That there's a whole set of ideological uh, um, uh, um, 
moves in these films that are actually uh, very coercive, you know, and that speak of a certain kind of a militaristic authoritarian culture. I think those are all things to explore. I think they are there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So end it the lesson. We need to get going. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at <laughs> the movies. We have that bit, don't we? Well, yeah. We'll just we'll add it on to the end of this because it'll be a big. It'll be a mammoth two-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Go on. Um, okay. Well, that's it. We are eavesdropping at the movies. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, the website is eavesdroppingatmovies.com. We probably won't do another epic podcast in the future, but you never know. Yes. <laughs> Didn't expect um, this one to go as long as we have. We welcome hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> do send it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <then>. Bye-bye. <laughs>